Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of the College Basketball Anza season preview series for 2020-2021. I'm Nicholas Hodel. Dominic Stern, as always, is joining me. And Dom, it's about freaking time. It's all I have to say right now. <laughs> yeah, we mentioned it last episode that it was good to actually get back and talk some basketball, but we didn't really get deep in this, a lot of the teams. You know, you know there are some teams where we, we discussed very briefly, but uh, today you're going to get uh, an in-depth look at almost every single Big Ten team. We, we were talking about it beforehand. Not going to do much time on Nebraska or Northwestern just because uh, they're, they're not going to do anything in terms of the Big Ten. But uh, every other team, like we saw last year, uh, they're, they're, there's enough talent on every team to win any game. Yeah, and we'll also get to Nebraska and Northwestern, even if it's only briefly. We'll uh, talk about those teams. And, of course, over the next nine weeks, you're going to get a bunch of content coming your way, two episodes a week in the plans. And these first four weeks are going to be all conference deep dives into the top eight conferences as determined by Ken Palm's rankings last year. And number one is the Big Ten, and we start there. And this is a conference that, if everything went to plan last March, we're talking about 10 teams getting into the tournament in a conference that really beat themselves up. Michigan State, Maryland, Wisconsin at 14-6 and six in the conference last year. Those would have been the three top teams to beat Illinois at 13-7 and seven and four other teams at 11-9. and nine. So there was a lot going on in teams beating each other up. And, you know, there, I – we were um, um, doing research, you know, about several big tiers to look at. And just to uh, get a, mention a couple of the big rankings that have come out, uh, Blue Ribbon's top 25 put five in, and Andy Katz's power 36 put eight in. So you could already see that there is a, a lot of depth once again. And, of course, two teams that are nowhere near any of those rankings, Nebraska and Northwestern. We'll start with those teams first. Uh, first, Northwestern, uh, we are talking about it a little bit. They returned one big guy, but Dom, as you were talking to me earlier, that may be about it for Northwestern. Right. They're returning their leading scorer, Cop. Uh, they ended up only winning three games in conference last year. And like I said, uh, when we were introducing the, co- the, the conference, almost any team on any given night could have won the game. And the two exceptions to that were Northwestern and Nebraska. I expect them to be at the bottom of the conference again this year. But whenever you return your leading scorer, uh, you have the potential to do something special. And uh, we know that college basketball, your team can oftentimes be carried by one player. Northwestern is going to need that if they want to have any success in the Big Ten this year. Yeah, and the big thing, too, is that they don't have a ton of big-time players coming in either. And, you know, college basketball is obviously a sport where freshmen can make more of an impact than others. And Northwestern just doesn't have much of that coming in whatsoever. But Chris Collins coming back does help a little bit. And, you know, you could also say a little thing about Miller Coppa, like you were mentioning as well. And it's just something that, you know, cops going to have to do a lot. Um, in, I mean, Pete Nance and Boo Booey are going to be doing a little bit, but even those three alone, that's going to be nowhere near what Northwestern needs to really compete 
Uh, could they try to get a couple upsets here and there, perhaps? But I think their most competitive game, in which they're going to be hoping to win, will be the one against Nebraska, uh, the next team on our list. And it looks like more rebuilding for them, too, Don. Yeah. And they finished in last place in the conference, and they're losing their top three scores uh, from last year. That's never a good sign. Now, they did actually have a decent recruiting class. Uh, not great, but considering where they were last year, uh, they, were, they had a better recruiting class according to 247 sports than Maryland, and Maryland won the conference. So I found that interesting. They're, they're going to need uh, a lot of production out of that recruiting class because they're not returning much at all. And Nebraska is also in the same boat as a few of the other teams that are in that Tier 2B per se, to where if things can gel together, they have the potential to rise a few more places than what they're expected to. I mean, one of their big uh, community college transfers, uh, Teddy Allen, last season, you know, when, when he did play Western Nebraska, 31.4 points per game. Now, Juco is a big step down from elite level Big Ten basketball. So if that translates at all, then Teddy Allen could be someone we're talking about as one of the better newcomers in the conference. But as it stands right now, I'm not necessarily sure that they can get that done. Pittsburgh transfer Trey McGowan's also is another guy that's coming in. But, you know, those two guys need to prove it, prove it. And that's really the same for the rest of the roster too. They need to prove they can compete with the rest of the conference. And last year, neither of those teams did that. And in a conference where – you easily saw 12 teams in the Kempom Top 40. Nebraska, along with Northwestern, was way off the mark. And that wasn't really close, really. Both of those teams were outside the Top 125 in Kempom last year. And maybe some of these teams make modest gains, but it will not be anywhere near Top 40. And that's definitely something we can pretty much agree with there on those two teams. Now for a little more deeper dive into the rest of these teams, 12 teams that they have potential to perhaps make the tournament. And at the bottom end of that tier, you have Minnesota where their backcourt could drive them, but, uh, but their big loss of uh, Daniel Turu could cost them, Dom. Absolutely. He was one of the best scoring centers in the nation and even in the conference. And there are several good centers in the big 10 alongside Luca Garza and Kofi Coburn, who we'll get into a little bit later. Uh, Daniel Carr, or Carr is going to have to carry the team. He was their second leading scorer on the team last year. Uh, they're they're going to need a lot of production out of him. Uh, otherwise, uh, Patino could be gone. Yeah, and, you know, that's definitely something that could be in the, in the cars, too. And even with some of these um, great players they had, they were still 8-12, and 12 in the Big Ten regular season play. And that's not a mark. I'm sure they want to repeat whatsoever. Right. And their backcourt, to me, they're going to have to overperform. I'm not sure what you're thinking about the backcourt here, Don. Yeah, they will. They also are getting a very good transfer from Drake. Leon Robbins is uh, a forward. He averaged 14 points per game and seven rebounds per game. So maybe he can uh, help fill the presence on the inside that it will be missing without Oturu. Yeah, and you know, again, this is something to where I mean, that backcourt is going to have to perform. They are better than Nebraska and Northwestern for sure, but it, it looks like to where they're going to be on the tier, tier B 
you know, the, the bottom half of the second tier of teams that are looking to get into the tournament to where that front half is looking like they will be in. And Minnesota right now, they're in the bottom of tier 2B, which means they are probably going to struggle for an NCAA tournament appearance. And with more conference games than non-conference games, this season in particular, we're going to see a premium on conference games. Because even with last year for Minnesota, even with an 8-12, and 12, they were still able to manage you know, almost breaking 500 when you include the win against Northwestern. They ended up 15-16. and 16. This year, you won't be able to afford eight and 12, nine and 11 conference records. I think that those teams are going to take more of a penalty this year than last year, especially with teams having less non-conference games, Dom. No, and the bad thing for Minnesota last year was just on a total uh, season standpoint, they were two and 10 on the road. And that, that's just not going to fly, especially with uh, less neutral site games. The committee's going to look at those games where you're playing on the road, and they're going to value them uh, more this year because it's going to be less uh, less neutral floor games. So they're going to need to find a way to steal some wins on the road. And uh, if they don't find a way to do that, they could see themselves on the outside looking in uh, for a tournament bid. Yeah, and, and even if they do improve to 9, 11, 10, and 10, I have no idea how the committee is going to look at that. I mean, they did get one away win against Ohio State that was decent, their, their, their other one in Big Ten play was against Northwestern, which isn't going to cut it whatsoever. We moved to Maryland. They're due for a drop-off, I think, losing Cohen and Smith, and they got one guy, but I think opponents will be able to key in on him and make sure that Aaron Wiggins doesn't really get a whole lot of big production. Right. Whenever you lose Anthony Cowan, who was just – he was one of those guards that just controlled the game. He was uh, a very similar player to Cassius Winston at Michigan State. Uh, and then, not to mention, you lose one of the best centers in the conference, Jalen Smith. He left early to go to the draft. He's probably going to be a lottery pick. Uh, Maryland was on my short list of teams that could have potentially won a national championship last year. Uh, and then they, they kind of faltered a little bit towards the end of the season once March hit. But losing your two best players, it's going to be tough for them. They also didn't have a good recruiting class like I highlighted earlier, so they're not bringing in a lot of talent. So they're going to have to rely on guys from last year to step up, and I'm not entirely sure that that's going to happen. And it, it really just be, seems to be a team that, the one-man teams don't work. And Maryland's drop-off will be exhibit A of why you have to have a complete team in college basketball to me. This is not a team that you can consider very deep for Big Ten standards at all. And that is something that we're going to have to be very concerned about with Maryland as time goes on. That's just something that it's going to have to really get together. I mean, even if those guys do gel, they're going to have a really tough time against the top teams and then against your teams and your fellow tier of teams that are looking to get into the tournament that won't necessarily be nationally linked for a ton of time, even though they're going to struggle even against those teams. If Wiggins is the only guy that is stepping up to be a Big Ten star, that's going to be a very tough season for Maryland to really go anywhere near. So we look at 
those teams there that we have mentioned, those two teams, I think they are clearly in this tier 2B to where they are on the outside looking in as far as even a top eight, in my mind, is concerned. Penn State is another team that is probably in tier 2B on the outside looking in as far as trying to get themselves into the NCAAs out of the Big Ten. Backcourt is key, but once again, they got a couple of big departures, Dom, that is probably going to come back to bite them in the end. They don't find a way to replace that production. Right. They, they lost just about everyone. Uh, their leading scorer, Miles Dredd, or their leading returning scorer is Miles Dredd, and he averaged eight points per game last year. That, that says it all. Penn State, another one of those teams that had that solid core of seniors. They were playing well all year. They, they kind of peaked a little bit too early. They, uh, similar to Maryland, started to falter towards the end of February and the beginning of March. So who knows how the tournament would have gone for them. But if they were going to make any noise at all, it was going to be that year. And missing out on the tournament for a program like Penn State, who isn't necessarily an established college basketball program, is crucial because if they make a Sweet 16, an Elite 8, or possibly even longer run, all of a sudden the recruiting class can improve. And that, of course, didn't happen. Their recruiting class might suffer from it. And going forward, I don't see Penn State doing that much, especially not on terms in which they performed in 2019-2020. Yeah, and we, we mentioned Maryland being thin. Now Penn State not being experienced enough. And that is going to be something that really comes back. You have to have depth. You have to have experience. Those are really the two hallmarks of a successful team in a power conference that can make a big run in the NCAA tournament. Maryland doesn't have the depth. Penn State doesn't have the experience. And Penn State might even be a little low on depth, too, if you look at their entire roster. That's going to be something to where they clearly struggle. So we've pretty much covered now teams that three, – three for sure teams in Tier 2B – and there might even be a fourth, and that is going to be Purdue. And with Purdue, Mackey Arena, big home court advantage. Place gets loud, loud, loud. They're not going to have the fans. And I think that's going to do Purdue in a lot more than other teams in the Big Ten. And, you know, a couple of transfers coming out. They got that one breakout guy coming in. That, they might struggle a little bit here, Don. Yeah, Purdue is definitely a fringe team for this conference. And they they were a very interesting team last year because there are games where they drop 80, 90, even they dropped 100 points one time, if I recall. But then the next game, they'd come out and they'd score 50 points. And you're like, what is what is wrong with you, Purdue? Like, they'd be a gambling nightmare, honestly. And uh, they have the number five recruiting class in the, co- in the conference, and that, that comes with the reputation that Purdue has built themselves of being a genuinely consistent team, consistent program and making the tournament. Not sure if they would have last year, uh, but they got one last year with Matt Harms. Seven foot three center. Uh, we saw what they did with Haas in his final year as a senior. They ended up making that elite eight run and they were a, uh, a lucky shot away from making the final four by Virginia. So, I think this team has some potential to make the tournament and possibly make uh, a run to the second weekend, but I could also see them faltering and not being a very successful team this year. Purdue, Purdue's a huge wild card for the Big Ten and its reputation for this upcoming year. Yeah, probably the best team 
in this tier 2B. Really, if you, if you, if you want to really look at what they have, I mean, a couple of chancers going out, Matt Holmes, no Joe Eastern, and perhaps some of the comments that Matt Painter made about them could be something that brings the rest of the team together, saying that we want to be a Purdue, we want to be a part of this team, let's go out and make something happen. And I, and I do think that Purdue could struggle a little bit. They have a couple of decent shooters that are going to have to be good. Travion Williams coming back, they're going to have to put in – they're going to have to do something here to make that happen. And I'm curious what you think about the home court advantage bit, Don. How much do you think that's going to affect Purdue more than some other teams in the Big Ten? Well, it all depends on how many fans can be in the stands. Uh, I think that's a big thing. And especially later on in the year, assuming, this is once again assuming, we don't know anything, the virus continues to get worse as we go on. Now, it could be the opposite or it could be that way. And if the virus continues to get better, then, or the situation surrounding the virus, I should clarify, then they could get more fans in the stands. Like you already mentioned, Mackey, great home court advantage. Honestly, one of the best in all, in all the country. Definitely amongst the top in the conference. And if they can get uh, a loud majority of fans at their home games, they're, they're going to pick up some wins that they probably shouldn't get. We saw them performed extremely well at home and then nowhere near as good on the road. And that 100% is a product of the home court advantage at Mackey. Yeah, wins against Minnesota, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Iowa, all at home last year. And this is where I think we slightly digress with this because, first off, I don't think we'll have fans at all in the arenas at any point this season. I just don't think that's going to be something that, especially the university presidents, I don't think that's a risk they're going to want to take as far as liability is concerned. So I think that's where we're slightly digress. And if the situation gets worse, I think that could be the end of the season. So I do think this is where we slightly digress a little bit. And I just think that Purdue's going to be able to their struggle. Without the, without the home fans at the arena, I think Purdue is a little more susceptible to a struggle than a lot of other teams in the Big Ten. And I do think that's going to come back a little bit and bite Purdue. And I, I, I do think that they are going to have a bit of a struggle. So and, uh, uh, you could also argue that they will be better on the road this year because there will be less home fans for their opponent. So it kind of goes both ways. Now the question is, will they step up more on the road or will they step down more at home? That, that's going to be a big highlight for Purdue season. And of those teams that we've talked about already, uh, in my rankings, I have Purdue as the highest team. Yeah, and I think that is absolutely the fair point. I think all four of these teams – have some pieces from last year not coming back. They're going to struggle a little bit to sort of regain the momentum, but I do think Purdue has more pieces returning than the other three that we mentioned to sort of give them a bit of an advantage over some of those teams. Minnesota, Maryland, Penn State, I think you can really put any of those three teams in any given way. Just know that Minnesota, Maryland, Penn State that is teetering dangerously close to being out to the NCAA tournament and being in. And I think each of those three teams are going to be sweating a little bit come March. Now to tier two way to where we have some more teams that are going to be a little safer as far as the NCAA tournament hopes go. And that's first off Ohio state. We're after the bottom of this last year, the turnover bug got them and it may not be the most contagious thing anymore in Columbus, but 
Oh, I think that turnover vlog is going to be something they need to get rid of and get rid of fast, Don. Yeah, they're, they're another one of those teams that lost several players. Three of their top four scorers are gone. And then Luther Muhammad, uh, guard, transferring to our school, Arizona State. So they're losing some, uh, some players. Like you already mentioned, the turnovers, that's something I got written down on them. They, they have the potential to once again beat any team in the conference, but they also have the potential to lose to any team in the conference. So that typical Big Ten team, uh, I, I'm not as high – and on Ohio State as you are, but they certainly have a ton of potential coming into this year. Yeah, this is a team that is going to have to mesh a little bit with some of the experience that they do have coming back. That would be Dwayne Washington Jr. and C.J. Walker, their second and third on the scoring list from last year, but also a couple of transfers, Seth Towns from Harvard and Justice Ewing from, from Cal. Those are a couple of guys that are also going to have to step up perhaps a step up from their original schools. And those are a couple of guys that are going to be key to Ohio State. If they step in, do a pretty decent job, we could be talking about a t Ohio State team that, again, safely in Tier 2A, probably will not have a problem in the NCAA tournament, especially when the community considers the strength of schedule of the Big Ten compared to some other bubble teams and other conferences. That will probably give Ohio State a leg up. If they cannot get rid of the turnover bug, if the transfers underwhelm and if the experienced scores they have turn out to be the only two guys, that, would, that might be a situation where we see teams like Purdue leapfrog them a little bit. That's going to be something that Ohio State is going to have to battle throughout this whole year. If the turnover bug is still in Columbus, this could be a lot of trouble for Ohio State. That was probably one of the weakest things about Ohio State analytically pretty solid team last year if they can keep up some of the stuff they were doing last year even with some their first inning score leaving and new chances coming in to, to gel with the team that's gonna be something where Ohio State does have the ability to get into that top seven top six are they anywhere near tier one no I don't think that's even up for debate but Ohio State is definitely a team that is mentioned is worth mentioning as far as a team that can perhaps get into the NCAA tournament if the pieces gel together. And we move to Rockers. Rockers, a team that surprised many. Home court advantage was as high as ever because the fans knew that they were a very solid team. The defensive juggernaut in the conference with the best adjusted offensive efficiency, according to Kempong, in the conference. But now, you have your major pieces returning. Now what do you do? I think that's something that is going to have to be a big, big thing. You have the expectation on your back now. Now what, Dom? Yeah, you, you, you hit on everything that I was going to say. The returning Ron Harper and Geo Baker, their two biggest scorers, great defensive team last year, and they only had one home loss on the entire year. So – Rutgers, their surprising year led to a good recruiting class. It shows that if you win, it'll pay in recruiting. Uh, they're the number six recruiting class in the nation. They were able to get, I believe, a, a solid four-star recruit out of the state of New Jersey. So I, I'm, I'm high on Rutgers this year. Uh, they're a surprising tournament bid team last year. I don't think anyone was expecting that. I think a lot of people expected them to be down at the bottom of the conference alongside Nebraska and Northwestern. But 
they surprised a lot of people that a lot of that was due to Ron Harper coming in and stepping up. Yeah. And first off, I just want to make something completely clear. The defensive department is going to have to stay for this team to have any chance of being what they were last year. Their, their offensive efficiency, I talked about the defensive efficiency, but of the 12 teams outside of Northwestern and Nebraska, of the top 12 in the Big Ten, Rutgers was last in adjusted offensive efficiency. Close, but still last. And that is something that is going to have to be approved upon. If, first off, if the, if the offensive thing doesn't improve, and if the defensive efficiency drops off even to outside the top 20 in Kim Pong, this is a team that might have some trouble. And I'm not sure where you, where you see this, Don, but I think that defensive efficiency is going to have to be, once again, near the top of the nation. Yeah, all signs point to their defense uh, not being as good as it was last year, but all signs also point to their offense being better than it was last year. That's just normally how these things go. And it's similar to Purdue without the home court advantage. It's going to be, is their offense going to improve more? or is their defense going to regress more? That, that's the big storyline for Rutgers. And, and how hungry is this team, too, after being, uh, after being, strive, after being uh, ripped apart of your first NCAA tournament appearance in years, after being a bottom few in the Big Ten for so long? That's going to be a big thing for Rutgers, too. And looking at some of the Kempom numbers, the only major reds that pop up are in the shooting. And that is going to be something it needs to improve. It needs to point blank. Outside the top 200 and effective field goal percentage is not going to cut it. And especially in a year to where perhaps the only thing you are evaluated on, if you cannot get marquee non-conference games, is your conference games. And when we get closer to March, these are going to be questions we're going to be asking is, how is this evaluation process going to change is with less games and less things to go off of? Rutgers may be a team that does get marched down a bit because of that because of that inability to, to have as many non-conference games. And if Rutgers, first off, if they don't succeed in non-conference, I think they are screwed. And, and I'm not sure if it matters if they finish fifth, sixth, or, or maybe even fourth. Last year, losing to St. Bonaventure, last year losing to Pittsburgh in non-conference, let's say that's two of their five, six, maybe seven non-conference games if those two losses pop up if two similar losses pop up again those two losses even with the sixth seventh place big 10 finish this year that could cost them a spot in the tournament and i can almost not really almost guarantee it but that's something that is gonna have to really get going they have to go non-conference and of course not conference goes right now they are highly fluctuating they're fluctuating really every week at this point. And not saying that's going to have to be a big deal for Rutgers is making sure they do not slip up in the non-conference to me. Indiana, not afraid of a tough Big Ten. I mean, they have guys like Tracy Jackson Davis coming back at a nice recruiting class headed by five-star Christian Lander. But the right side shooting is going to be a big question mark. And how, how much do you think that's going to impact them here, Dom? It will. They're, they're going to be in a, a bubble team again. It seems like they are every year. Uh, they, they can't seem to get comfortably in the tournament like they just were for so many years under Marchie Miller. Uh, 
I don't even know why we call him Marchie Miller anymore because he, he struggles to get their team playing deep into March. But Indiana, another one of those teams capable of beating any team. We saw him last year with those just electric Thursday, Friday night games that you, you they were just must tune in because they're playing Michigan State. They're playing Maryland. And you're, you're sitting there, you're like, man, I, I can't, I can't wait to watch Indiana play because watching games at Assembly Hall, there's, there's nothing like it. That, watching those games are awesome. But they're going to need the shooting to improve last year because there are games where they'd shoot well and they'd beat almost anyone. Then they'd, they'd hang tough with – I mean, uh, Nebraska and Northwestern would hang tough with them. And you're just sitting there you're like, man, like this isn't Indiana basketball. So if, if they play Indiana basketball – they're going to be a good team this year. Yeah, that, that's going to be a big thing for them. I think the outside shooting is going to be the single biggest key to their success, really. And it's not just that, but also how they shoot in general. This is a team that shot 67.9% from the free throw line. That is absolutely not going to cut it. And it, we, we won't know. We will never know if they would have gotten to the NCAA tournament. Science are, they probably would have. But to me, Indiana's a team that is going to have to rely on Christian Lander and not just Jackson Davis. I think that's going to have to be a big thing. Rob Finnessy, Al Durham, those are a couple of guys also that are going to have to be relied on. And the experience is there. It absolutely is. This is a team that they have that experience. The town level isn't as good, though, as teams like Iowa and Wisconsin, which we'll get to later on. That's going to be the big thing for Indiana. They're going to have to steadily improve throughout the season, get, make the most of your non-conference games, what limited games you have there, and then in the conference, win the games you're supposed to. Even though the Big Ten doesn't really have a lot of games that can be considered as bad losses outside of Nebraska and Northwestern, this is a team that needs to get as many wins as possible. And I do think that if they slip up too often in Big Ten play, this is a team that can easily fall down, maybe not all the way out of the NCAA tournament, but maybe into a first four situation, which I'm sure Indiana does not want to have thrust upon them. And especially Archie Miller, whose tenure at Indiana hasn't really been what many people were expecting when he came from Dayton. And I think that is something that we are now in a situation to where Miller, I mean, Bloomington could get a little upset if things don't get improving. Every year it seems like it has been a steadily improvement, but now in year four, if you can't deliver NCAA tournament, I'm not sure how long the Bloomington fans are really going to stick up for you here, Dom. No, absolutely not. And uh, I, I'm a believer in Indiana this year. I think they'll they'll make the tournament comfortably as a single-digit seed now, whether or not they end up being a five, six, seven seed or an eight or a nine seed. We'll have to wait and see. But I, I would be completely shocked if they end up missing the tournament. Uh, just you know, the there's five other teams that we haven't talked about yet in this conference. I have Indiana ranked sixth in the conference. Yeah, and you know, and, you know from. Some of the things that I have been seeing and some, some other, some other preseason lists, it seems like Indiana is listed seventh uh, above, te- below teams rather, like Ohio State and Rutgers. I think Indiana should 
should Lander really step up along with Jackson Davis, you know, that could be a combination that is lethal and teams do have to watch out for in the Big Ten. Teams in the clear number five, though, is Michigan. They have really some, some, some intriguing players on this team, Don. Where, where do you see this team? I, I see them either fourth or fifth in this conference. I think there's the three at the top that are going to be really good teams this year. Uh, they're losing John Teske and Xavier Simpson. And when you lose your big center and you lose your point guard, you're going to struggle. Now, unfortunately, they do have the best recruiting class in the conference. So they're going to be getting a lot to fill the void of those guys. Now, the question is, will they step up? And uh, they're, they're still returning three double-digit scorers from last year. So they, they still have some production. Like I said, they're, they're going to be a top-five team in this conference. They have the potential to win it, but they could also finish in fifth. Yeah, I don't think they have any sort of potential to win this conference. I do think they're a solid team, but I do think they are still well below teams like Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, to where I don't think they're quite up there. However, that being said, their backcourt is very deep, and that is something you really have to have nowadays in particular. Just look at one of their graduate transfers, Mike Smith from Columbia. Delegate points last year in every game. Second team all Ivy League, 22.8 a game. This is a guy that is definitely a prolific scorer. But like you mentioned, the front court is the biggest question. This is a position that is keeping them from being in this top four to me. And, you know, they, ha- they could have been Michigan State, but I still think that Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois are those top, clear top three. And if Michigan had a very solid center, this is a team that we're talking about as a team that is more or less in that conversation as a top 15 team nationally. For right now, I can't quite put them there because of that. And we've seen that you have to really do it all, all over the court. Um, I mean, and you have a freshman in Hunter Dickinson. That's going to be an interesting spot for him to have to play, being stepped, thrusted into that role. And if the center position does get solidified in the non-conference and if they can surprise in the non-conference, where would you see Michigan as a complete one through five, very strong, talented team? Uh, I, I have them finishing in fourth in this conference. I, I think they, they might be better than Michigan State. Uh, it's going to be fun because that's a, it's a nice rivalry in college sports, especially more in basketball as opposed to football. Uh, they're going to be an interesting team uh, because you need a good center in the Big Ten because you're going to be going up against guys like Covert, uh, Garza, and a bunch of other good centers. Now, of course, we had Oturu and Smith leave to the draft, but uh, if you want to be able to beat Illinois and Iowa, who a lot of people think are going to be at the top of this conference, and I do as well, you're going to need good center play, or you're going to hope that, uh, that they somehow get in foul trouble early, which we have seen from Covert a lot. Uh, that's his one flaw. But uh, Michigan, they're going to be – I, I, I agree. They're going to be at the back of this tier one teams in the conference. Yeah. And you know, you can easily, you can easily put Michigan that tier one if you want to. I only put the top four because I do think that center is going to hold Michigan back when playing some of these teams that have really good centers and really good power forwards. And that's going to be a big attack point for pretty much all teams in the big 10, you know, try to attack down low because if Michigan can't really get that solidified, 
I would expect the game plan for Michigan to be a lot of get inside, attack the rim, get your inside points because a lot of teams in the Big Ten, not just the top four, will have that advantage down low. And I do think that's an area to where teams can attack. And if Michigan gets that solidified, though, this is a team you need to watch out for. Very, very dangerous. The Rain State rival is just similar to that. Michigan State, and this really is going to be a team known for Lockett Watts, the team that can definitely turn on the electricity in any arena. And also another thing that strikes out to me is Marquette transfer Jilly Hauser. He is now eligible. Stunned with Marquette as a freshman transferring up to the Big Ten. That's going to be big. And a team that is going to be ran by some juniors and sophomores that know the system. I think this is a team that can really make some noise here, Dom. They definitely can. It's going to be very odd watching Michigan State basketball this year without Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman. Uh, I, have a, uh, I have a comparison for you for Cassius Winston. He was the Hunter Renfro of college basketball. Yeah, so it's going to be tough to watch because Cassius was the leader of this team. You saw him controlling the offense, and you saw him really working with Coach Izzo. And they're going to need someone to step up big time in his presence. And Xavier Tillman was that big for them, down low. Uh, arguably the best defensive big man uh, in the class, and he was definitely the best defensive big man in the Big Ten. Now, like I just mentioned, they, uh, for Michigan, they lost Teske. Who's going to be able to defend those big men to – help keep you in those games because the Big Ten is prolific in big men. Uh, another storyline, Joshua Langford is supposed to return this year after missing all of last year. You really wonder how good Michigan State would be last year if Langford played for them. Uh, they seemed like they were peaking at the right time, and they could have definitely won a national championship. I don't see them being a national championship contender, but certainly second weekend team and a top five team in this conference for sure. And Joshua Langford might be the difference. If he comes out, blows everyone away, he might take Michigan State up to that top three, as well as, as Aaron Henry in the front court. You know, the front court just with some death with, with, with freshman uh, Mario Soselko. That's going to be something that we'll be interested in seeing, that, that front court and how deep it can be. If it is deep, we got an overall team at Michigan State that can make a lot, a lot of noise. And a team that, in my mind, is definitely right now in that top 25 conversation. But going forward, I think the potential is there for them to crack top 15, maybe crack the top 10 if the pieces fall correctly. Definitely one of the top teams in the country. A team that I would definitely peg right now preseason as a, anywhere from that two to four seed range right now preseason. And what happens with Watts, and I think Joey Hauser can make a big impact as well as one of the better newcomers to the Big Ten. He will be someone that does make a lot of noise. And you have the experience of having juniors and sophomores, not quite as good as seniors as teams like Wisconsin have, but you still have that experience there. You're not a freshman-oriented team. And that automatically puts Michigan State above a lot of some other teams in this conference to where you have good players that know the system, of, of, of your coach, especially as talented as coach is, though. I do think Michigan State is one of the better teams in this conference. Now, do I think they have right now, do they have that it factor to step above the top three? No. I think that every single one of the top three teams I'm going to talk about here have something about them that puts them above everyone else. 
and which is start of Iowa and a player I think I, I think is the national player of the year is Garza. That's their it factor that puts them above Michigan State. Michigan State doesn't have that national player of the year contender in my mind right now, like Iowa does, to really be there. For everything returns, I mean, this is a team that can be one of the best teams in the entire country, Dom. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're kind of one of those bridge teams, like I mentioned with Purdue, Minnesota, and Rutgers, that if they perform well, they're going to elevate the performance of this conference in terms of conference rankings. Now, Michigan State's going to be good. It's a question of how good. Yes, and, you know, and then we now do uh, turn our focus on Iowa, in particular, like I mentioned, Luca Garza. My mind, he is the National Player of the Year this season. He is going to be the National Player of the Year this season. He's that good. Probably the best player in the entire country. And with, with Garza and everything coming back, I'm not – I don't know what the world of the ceiling is for this team, Dom. I really don't know. This is the team that can easily win this conference to me. Yes, the ceiling is a Final Four team for this team. Like you already mentioned, they're returning just about everyone, including Luka Garza. A lot of people didn't think he was going to come back. But – he knows that Iowa has some unfinished business. And for Iowa to get a player like him coming back, and then for them to also have a deep recruiting class, they had five three-star recruits, which, you know, doesn't really stand out. But uh, just looking forward to have five three-star recruits. Uh, some of them might see some playing time this year. Some of them might not. But they're returning everyone. They got Bohannon coming back. They got McCaffrey, the coach's son, coming back. They're, they're going to be a very good team. And a lot of people were surprised last year when they were performing well. And when you consider how they played pretty dang well in the tournament last uh, in 2018, uh, or I guess in 2019 now, uh, it, it wasn't really a surprise for me to see them performing well in 2019-2020. Uh, another one of those teams that performs really well at home and not as well on the road. But I think this year they have the potential to really perform well on the road and be certainly a top three team in the conference and potentially a top 10 team in the nation. Well, I don't think it's a potentially top team in the nation. I think this is a top team in the nation, top 10 team. This is, this is a top 10 team right now. And the only thing, the only thing that can set this team back is defense. That, that to me is the only thing that can set this team back. Barely made the top 100 and the adjusted defensive efficiency ranking last year on campom.com. I do think that that area, if they get that even to top 50, we have a top 10 team on our hands. Easy. This is the team that, and don't forget about CJ Frederick and Wieskamp. Those are guys that provide guards of that ability to do what he does because teams and opposing players cannot just focus solely on Luca Garza. They have to pay attention to everyone because everyone can be deadly on the court. Everyone has at least something of guards repertoire. Guards has everything, but all these other players, they have something special to them that can complement the team. And that is something that is big to me. If Garza was on a team like a Purdue, like a Penn State, to where he is practically the only guy, I think we have a situation like Buddy Heald in Oklahoma to where teams can really clamp down on him and all of a sudden the team doesn't really do as well. But no, this is a team that has everything. They have Garza, the top player. They have the top second or third guys 
This is one of those teams that has it. They have everything. If their defense improves, watch out. We could be seeing a Big Ten champion in our hands. Very, very easy. Now, a team I know you like it a lot, Illinois. I know you love this team. And the fact that their dynamic duo is back, Dom, makes things a whole lot sweeter for fighting Illini fans, and I'm sure for you as well. Yes, I, I, I love Illinois, man. Uh, Io DeSovu, Kofi Coburn, I'll say it again. It's Coburn. Uh, he's Scottish. The, the C and the K after the C and the O are silent. Uh, like all of you, I wish that wasn't the case. But, man, this team can be very special this year. Now, they're, they're losing Feliz, who was third in points per game and second in rebounds per game. So, they're going to need to find ways to fill his void because they also need someone to get some boards and play against the big men because, as we saw last year, Coburn will find himself in foul trouble. Uh, his fundamentals – aren't great. Uh, if he improved at all this offseason, the extended offseason at that, uh, fundamentally, especially defensively, watch out. This team is certainly a national contender. Ayo Desomu, arguably the best returning guard in the nation. Uh, he, at times, would have to put the team on his back because Coburn would be in foul trouble. But uh, the sky's the limit for this Illinois team. And uh, they ended up getting two forced Four-star recruits last year, uh, they were rewarded for performing well. And I think that there's nothing but a bright future ahead for the fighting Illini. Yeah, that dynamic, that duo is going to be big for, for Illinois. But as far as the forwards go, the man from Georgia, not the state of the country, um, Georgie Bashan Avelli, I had to write down the pronunciation because I knew yeah. I would just mess uh -huh. that up. He's going to have to be big because, like you said, Comer does tend to get into that foul trouble, and he is essentially that second forward. He is essentially the number four for this team. And at times, he's going to have to act like he is the biggest man on the court because if Comer does get into that foul trouble, watch out because this is a team that it needs. It pretty much needs everything. It pretty much needs that Sumu and Comer. It needs Bajan. Avelli. It needs a lot of those guys to really get those things there. I also want to point in the direction of Trent Fraser as well, because I think that's a guy that could perhaps fly under the radar if opponents aren't careful. He could be in for a big year if teams do fly under the radar. And Illinois, for me, it's very tough between them, Iva, and we'll talk about Wisconsin a bit. It's, it's tough for me because that duo is fantastic. Coburn getting a foul to all the time might not be in the team's best interest, but this is a team that can definitely do a lot of the things that they set out to do annually. A team that, to me, is a top 10 team along with Iowa. A team that has gotten everyone came was excited for them. Now, granted, probably no fans of the season in the arenas, that could play to their detriment, but if they, if they still play well, easily a team that can maybe even get a top two seed. I think they're that good. And I think that's something we both agree on. We're both pretty dang excited to see Illinois. But a team that tops them all to me, Wisconsin. This is the team that returns everything. Experienced senior core. Not like Michigan State where it's junior and sophomores. This is a senior core. In other words... This is their season. Yeah, 
Uh, Wisconsin, you know, they had those couple of years with Frank the Tank where they were those national contenders. But this, this might be their best team. And you mentioned the core of seniors. They have seven seniors on this team. Now, I don't think all of them are going to play, but certainly that's, that's impressive. They're returning four players who averaged nine points per game last year. Now, they are losing Pritzel, who uh, he graduated. He was a good defender. He wasn't their best scorer, but he did give them very quality minutes. So his presence is going to be lost. And then Kobe King, he just kind of left. It's a really weird situation with him. Uh, fourth in recruiting last year. They ended the season hot. They were on an eight-game winning streak, and they won all eight games, knowing they basically had to do that to win a share of the Big Ten. And that included their final win on the road at Indiana. And this team, I believe their final four good. I also believe that Illinois and Iowa have final four potential. Uh, but, man, like you already mentioned, Wisconsin, uh, I have them at the top of the conference as well. Uh, and we're both extremely high on Illinois. I don't know anyone else that's as high as us uh, on Illinois, but Wisconsin is even better. And the the floor of this team is a four seed or something like along that line. Like they're they're going to make the Sweet Sixteen barring injuries. They're they're set up to have an extremely good year. And I think that ceiling is a number one seed with this team. Because this is, this is what I mean, – when I talk about having to have the death and having to have the experience, Wisconsin is exactly what I'm talking about. Because experiencing your core, that's the bona fide sign of this is our year. And this is the year for Wisconsin. After this season, Wisconsin will probably go back to being a Tier 2A. You know, may, maybe in the lower end of the Tier 2B if, they, if the recruiting classes aren't as strong. Right now, top of the conference, number one seed, probably a top five team in the entire country. I'm not sure what, what you cannot like about this Wisconsin team. Is there any sort of weakness that you can see, Dom? They don't really have a go-to scorer, if you will. Uh, they rely on a team to get the job done. And in late-game situations, that isn't the greatest thing to have. Now, of course, you can – if you can get a guy to set a screen and then you drive and you can kick it out to anyone now, then of course that's great, but they don't have that Io DeSomu, that Luca Garza, that Rocket Watts, that some of these other top teams really have. That's where you're going to have to find a way to beat Wisconsin because they're an extremely deep and they're an extremely talented team. Those teams are always tough to beat, uh, but I, I don't even think that's really a true weakness for them. I think that they're, they're going to be an elite team this year, for sure. Yeah, for 38 minutes, not having one go-to guy is going to benefit them because teams cannot focus on one guy at all. And you can say the same thing about Illinois. You can say the same thing about Iowa. Those last two minutes to where Wisconsin does need someone to absolutely step up from the pack, I can easily see what you're saying and Perhaps that cost them a little bit. It ain't gonna cost them much though because they can all do it. <laughs> I mean, there's, I mean, they not they they may not have a national player of the year, but they're gonna have at least one All Big Ten first team. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious to me. I mean, it's, I mean, they're all gonna be, you know, I mean, all big conference third team minimum and things like that. It's just can you get that guy that can rise above 
when you need them to the most. And that, that's the big question, but it really isn't much of a question because this team can get it done pretty much all the time. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we're pretty clear on Wisconsin doing in Iowa. Those are easy, the top four to me. I think Michigan State is a, a solid fourth. Michigan is a solid fifth. I don't think there's any debating that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's I – mean, we mentioned this a little bit throughout the program. I'm sure that's exactly what you're thinking too, Dom. I, I have Michigan State and Michigan flopped to four and five, and I think they're going to be separated by a game or two. They're both going to be tournament teams going into the year, so it's not really a huge deal. But like you mentioned, Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, I basically separated these teams into tiers. They're the top tier. And then you have Michigan, Michigan State, and then I also have Indiana clumped in with those two teams as the, to be tournament locks, uh, you know, the top teams in the conference. But those, those six, I feel like are pretty much unanimously top seven teams in the conference. You can maybe slip in a team in front of Indiana if you, uh, if you're feeling a little risky. Yeah, and I, I do think that we, we do agree sort of on these tiers. A couple final questions for you. How many teams to the Big Ten get in, and who's your conference player of the year preseason? So I'm thinking they get eight teams in. I'm thinking we have those six teams I already mentioned. I'm thinking Purdue and Rutgers sneak in. Minnesota potentially could sneak in. I think that Marcus Carr is uh, he's going to be in the top three. Uh, for conference player of the year. Uh, without Oturu, he's going to have to really step up and the entire offense is going to be run through him. And he, he's going to, I wouldn't be shocked if he averages 20 points on this year. But my top two conference players of the year are going to be Ayo Desomu and Luca Garza. I think both of them will be uh, Naismith player of the year uh, or Wooden, you know, those guys. They're, they're going to be amongst the nation's best. I'm going to lean more towards Luca Garza. Obviously he is insane. And I think that the surrounding cast around him could help him a little bit more. Now, of course, Iowa doesn't have another player to surround Luca Garza like Io has Coburn, but I think that Garza is a better player. He gets more, he gets more points. But uh, defensively, Io is significantly better than Garza. But I do think Garza is the Big Ten Player of the Year when it's all said and done. Yeah, and my final thing before we wrap this thing up is this is the conference that was going to get 10 in last year. Some people might be talking about this conference being getting 11 or 12. I digress heavily from that. And that is because, to me, when you have less non-conference games – these power conference teams are going to have less opportunities to get those big wins they need. And that means your 10 and 10s, your 9 and 11s probably will not get in. I think that is going to cost them a bit more. I mean, if, even, if, if, even if it is only five or six non-conference games we're talking about with the potential for seven, I think that having less non-conference games will hurt the powered conferences in the bubble area. I do think nine or 10 is probably a good mark for the Big Ten to, to really aspire for. Definitely at the top of the nation as far as teams getting in. And that is definitely something the Big Ten has to really pride themselves on. I think that these guys in the Big 12, which we'll cover in our next episode, 
definitely the two teams, the two conferences rather, that are going to be at the top of the nation once again. And we'll get to the Big 12 Conference on Wednesday for the second episode of our season preview series. For Dominic Stern, I'm Nicholas Hodel. Have a good day, night, wherever you're listening to us from, wherever you're listening from. Have a good one, folks.